welcome to Streaming Into the Void, where we discuss all the streaming news for the week ending February 11th, 2023. This week, Iger beats a billionaire and Warner Brothers Discovery etch-a-sketches the past two years. I'm Kim Hollis, and football doesn't even matter without Joe Burrow in it. With me are Tim Brighty content creator and gamer betting it all on so i've analyzed the matchups i've looked at both sides and you can't go wrong by betting on tails <laughs> all right also david mumpower author of behind the ride streaming media analyst and someone who just canceled peacock i don't even know which one it was the most expensive one good riddance <laughs> <laughs> And the podcast is produced and edited by Raul Burial, who Chrissy Teigen once referred to as a pussy ass bitch. Oh, she calls everybody that podcasters, ex-presidents. <laughs> it is now in the congressional record. <laughs> <laughs> OK, it's going to be one of those podcasts. <laughs> In our Warner Brothers Discovery Death Watch, the merger of HBO Max and Discovery Plus into a new streaming service, popularly believed to be called just Max, is moving full speed ahead. But plans to retire Discovery Plus after the merger have now been scrapped. That is to say, after the two services merge, Discovery Plus will still exist. In the immortal words of Bane, what are we doing? What? <laughs> Apparently, there's concern that Discovery Plus subscribers would balk at having to pay a higher price to continue watching their content once it's been commingled with HBO Max content. So instead, they're going to carry on with their bargain streaming service while continuing to devalue their premium streaming service. So people are only willing to pay X amount of dollars a month to watch Cajun ghost miners is what you're saying. That's right. And if you were to say, but for a couple of dollars more, you could also get the Sopranos. They're going to be like, nah, no, thanks. So, so just to be clear, 18, 20 months ago, when we said there was absolutely no overlap between HBO Max and Discovery Plus, And this was a terrible, terrible idea. Nobody in charge of Discovery actually ran those numbers and reached the same conclusion, and it took them the body of two years to do it now? Yeah, that checks out. How are these people gamefully employed? David Zaslav, the highest paid CEO in America. This is insane. This was the entire reason why a $50 billion merger happened, and now they're not going to do it. And just past a certain point, the business model here appears to be a denial of service attack, where they just keep making so many screw-ups that we have to decide which of their grotesque incompetence deserves coverage versus which ones we just got to let go because it sounds like we're just always ranting about them. This, this is unforgivably incompetent. And I don't know what else we can say. In our deep dive this week, Disney released their first quarterly earnings report since Bob Iger returned as CEO. People were prepared for fireworks and perhaps some doom and gloom. David, what did we get? Actually, David, before you get into the specifics, can I sum up the entire call in one headline by the AV Club? Go for it. Disney announces Toy Story 5, Frozen 3, Zootopia 2, and 7,000 Layoffs, which I guess is some new IP I'm not familiar with, but <laughs> will, I, will I know, will I be able to follow after the first, if I didn't follow the first 6,999 layoffs or what? But yeah, that that is everything that happened in, in one sentence there. Yeah, 
I'm going to try and sound not doom and gloom about this. Bob Iger has made the best out of a bad situation. He has once again demonstrated his extreme competence as an executive, but he sat down at the poker table and immediately realized he was playing a losing hand and he played it the best that he could. Last year, it has become clear that Isaac Ike Perlmuter was still harboring a grudge from not being able to fire Kevin Feige in 2015 because that's how brittle most all billionaires are. And he has just hated Disney for more than seven years, even though he remains one of Disney's largest stockholders. So he gets his buddy Nelson Peltz, who spent the body of 2022 ruining Wendy's, that's a real thing that's happening right now, to try and start a proxy fight wherein they thought they could get control back of the Disney Corporation. And we're watching him try and corrode his way into Disney. Iger had to fight that. And that's why we have 7,000 layoffs. But more importantly, Iger also kind of undid a lot of the stuff that Chappick had, to Iger's opinion, messed up, which, you know, is still open to interpretation. And the gist is Disney's revenue was up. Parks revenue was insanely up by 1.5 billion year over year, which is like more than 20% gross. Disney Plus subscriptions were down. Raul, that wasn't a surprise, though, was it? Yeah, Disney Plus is seeing some pressures. The three-year deal that a lot of people use to subscribe to Disney Plus when it launched is starting to expire. A lot of holiday promos from last year are expiring as well. And we're starting to see some decline from the hot star subscribers after Disney Plus lost the Indian Premier League cricket deal. Those Disney Plus subscribers that came through hot star are finally ending what I believe was uh, their annual contracts because they're subscribed chiefly to watch Indian Premier League cricket. And if that's not on hot star anymore, Disney Plus doesn't get those subscribers anymore. So there is some downward pressure on uh, those subscriber numbers at Disney Plus. Right. As a matter of fact, Disney actually beat its subscriber estimates by 700,000 or so. So overall, a really good report. And the other thing we should mention about Disney Plus is it had its first ever serious price increase during this quarter, or arguably second ever, depending on how you want to look at it. But a rare event during the three plus year history of Disney Plus. So there were a lot of reasons to cancel. And the fact that it remained relatively static is very, very impressive and cause for optimism. Still, direct to consumer lost about $1 billion almost exactly, which is a massive amount of money. I mean, we hit Peacock when it does it now. In terms of scale, Peacock is much worse because we're talking about 22 million subscribers versus 100 you know, 66 million, but nobody wants to be losing a billion dollars from their direct-to-consumer. However, Wall Street uh, braced for much, much more. Iger found several ways to reduce that, and it's to his credit, and Disney has also announced they're going to do $5.5 billion in cuts, and out of those cuts, $3 billion, which means more than half, are going to come from reduced content spending. Now, that's going to have ripple effects that we'll address as we get to them. It's not great news overall for the business, but it has allowed Disney to get back in Wall Street's favor and get their finances in order. And not coincidentally, within 16 hours of Disney's announcing its plan under Iger, Peltz dropped his proxy battle and it became clear in 
pretty much every headline. Iger won and Peltz lost. And uh, given some other stuff that happened with Disney this week, you could claim that Iger took two very significant scalps in a period of 24 hours. Yeah, I'd been chatting with David about this before the earnings report. It really looked like Disney was trying to circle the wagons. It was going to be bad news. Everyone was going to get hurt. And there was just no way that things were going to come out looking anything other than terrible. Only a very confident Bob Iger would be able to come out of this earnings report with any kind of sense of success. He came in, kicked ass, took names and came out looking great. The one concession Iger made, look, there's no polite way to say it, and it upsets me personally. Uh, anyone who knows me uh, is aware of the fact that Kim and I adore Disney cast members. We think they walk on water. Those 7,000 layoffs are happening because Disney is going to reinstate its stock dividend toward the end of this year. Iger has confirmed it will happen in calendar 2023, and that is an expensive bit of cash that's suddenly going to have to come back to the budget. That is basically the cost of business to make Nelson and pelts go away, which means in Central Florida and Anaheim, where cast members are always already struggling with their salaries, they're going to get laid off in significant numbers because a billionaire wanted slightly more. And that's what's broken in our system today. Iger didn't have a choice here if he wanted to get rid of pelts. And he had to get rid of pelts because the dude is so radioactive. This was the only play. But the opportunity cost of it is 7,000 good people are going to get laid off. And that pisses me off. But Iger has one trump card left. There's one thing that Iger can sell. And what is that one thing? I mean, you could argue it's two things, but you're referencing Hulu and Iger kind of played it both ways. Honestly, when I was listening to the earnings call on Thursday, I could hear him kind of play out a thought exercise in his head. He does this sometimes. He'll have an, a kernel of an idea and he'll talk it through because that's how his mind works. And he's had so much success with it. And by the CNBC call the following morning, he had switched from we're keeping Hulu to, well, you know, Come at me. Talk to me with some numbers. I'll consider it. And that means that Hulu is now back in play, or at least Iger wants it to be, whereas he was pretty emphatic, Raul. Don't you think that ESPN is staying? Do you believe him on either front? I believe him a lot more on the ESPN front. I think right now everything's up in the air for Hulu. It all depends on a number of variables. There are no variables when it comes to ESPN. ESPN is a moneymaker, and if they can just make those sporting contracts work, it's going to continue to be a moneymaker. Right now, there's a lot of unknowns when it comes to Hulu, and those unknowns aren't going to be settled soon or in any kind of neat and tidy way. A lot of things need to happen for the Hulu issue to be resolved. The fact of the matter is Hulu remains a joint venture between Disney and Comcast. And there is an agreement between the two companies that by 2024, one of them has to end up owning that company. And the other one is going to end up paying billions of dollars to the other one. It's a huge expense. And the way one company comes out winning is to sell it to the other. Right now, the presumption would be that Disney ends up holding the bag because they operate Hulu, but they don't need Hulu. They need the content on Hulu. It's theirs. It belongs to them. And they could easily move that over to Disney Plus in the same way they've done everywhere else around the world, where you can watch the content that exists on Hulu here on Disney Plus everywhere else. They don't need Hulu as a streaming service. Yeah, there was an analogy I made in my writing the other day that I really like. I'm generally not a fan of my own writing, but Iger was kind of talking through the fact that something he liked about the current distribution model is that basically there's a division of costs. And what I mean by that is, 
is he used Abbott Elementary as an example of something that you pay for it on ABC, but then you also play it on Hulu. And so you're monetizing it that way as well, which means really, I think of it as like going to a restaurant and then picking a place, you know, where you'll get two meals out of it. You'll have leftovers for the next day. So you're paying one price and getting two pieces of content the same way. And that led me to believe that he was warming to the idea of keeping Hulu. But then by the following morning, you could tell his his entire attitude about that was changed because you don't go on CNBC and say, hey, I'm listening, make me an offer unless you legitimately want to see what offers are out there. Now, maybe he just wants to hear it and he doesn't, you know, have a good sense of what people will actually pay. And that includes Comcast. Comcast is a corporate owner of CNBC. If you want to communicate with them, doing it on CNBC is the way to do it. But there are a lot of other places that watch it as well. That was just somebody baiting, saying, hey, let's see what your best offer is and we'll consider it. With ESPN, everybody's saying, well, this assures the fact that ESPN is not going to be sold. I don't know because I look at it now and Disney just basically split into three structures. There's three core divisions now. One of them is ESPN. And to me, what I take away from that is ESPN lifts right out. They have just made it very, very easy because it's its own thing in the org chart. Raul, when you think about it that way, does that change your opinion any? I just don't see how they get out of live sports Live sports seems to be the way to keep your streaming platform afloat. It's a way of getting content onto your streaming platform in quick turnaround. There's live sports that are happening right now today that are not being streamed. You can sign a deal tomorrow and get those events onto your streaming platform the following day. So the only cost is the cost of signing that carriage deal with the conference, the league, what have you. And yes, there is some monetary cost to that. But when you flip it around and you look to see, it's like, well, we're spending tens of billions of dollars every year to create original content. And it's going to take us 12 to 18 months to get any of those shows onto our streaming platform. The easy solution is live sports. That is why Amazon's getting into live sports. That's why even Netflix now is looking to see if maybe they should get into live sports. For Disney to say, nah, we don't want to do live sports anymore. No, that's just silly. I don't see them getting rid of ESPN. I think that is an absolutely brilliant point. And I fully agree with you. I'm starting to wonder, though, because I have so much respect for Iger and I know he sees the whole board. What if we just watched happen with Sky, with Warner Brothers Discovery, with uh, NBC Universal? All these places overspent and now they have distressed assets. I'm wondering if Iger thinks maybe now is the time to get cash, to get the balance sheet solid, figuring that you can pick up assets for less later because a lot of other people who aren't as good as him are making mistakes and he can take advantage. I wonder if he is valuing a clean balance sheet more than anything else. And that is why I am suddenly allowing for the possibility that these sales could happen after basically spending the last couple of years thinking, no way. Well, that's some 3D chess there. That's exactly what I'm saying. But out of all the people we discussed in the media, is there anybody you think is more capable of that than Bob Iger? Outside of Bob Iger, the only people I can think of that have that kind of wherewithal would be his former subordinates that are running Candle Media. Exactly. The the people who came up through the Iger School of (laughs) Executive Training. And in our rapid fire, it looks like Netflix plans to end password sharing were leaked too soon last week. In light of consumer backlash, Netflix tried to put the genie back in the bottle and they pulled the FAQs from their website. But this week, they did officially release their plans for paid password sharing in Canada, New Zealand, Portugal and Spain. Uh, 
why those four countries? Actually, that's a good question. I don't know. Looking at the announcement last week, the big sticking point with the plan that emerged uh, related to how consumers would have to sign into their home Wi-Fi once every 30 days. Consumers who connect to Netflix over a wired connection were immediately confused as to how they were supposed to do that when they're wired into the internet instead of on Wi-Fi. But uh, the rumored $2.99 a month to add another home to your account at this point seems utterly reasonable. According to the official announcement, if you want to add another person to your account, which is a thing you can do according to this new plan, it's going to cost you $7.99 in Canada and $7.99 in New Zealand. That is in Canadian and New Zealand dollars. Oddly, it's going to be €3.99 in Portugal and €5.99 in Spain, two countries that use the same currency and are literally next to each other. What? Uh, can I take the cynical view here is that they didn't back down from their plans to put this out in the U.S. They're just going to temporarily hide it till a few months from now and everyone forgets and then they're going to roll it out. And evidently it's going to be worse than everyone's complaint and then the one everyone was complaining about last week. Uh, yeah, we'll see. But it's going to happen just some point later this year. Yeah, I think we're just going to have to wait to see how it plays out in these countries, Canada, New Zealand, Spain and Portugal and see just what kind of a consumer backlash we get there. I'm also expecting, and this is pure speculation, but I think they will try a lower price point in the United States where there's just an accepted business practice wherein consumers here are louder with their complaining. And so if they start it low and then quickly start raising the price, that's kind of how Netflix originally did its streaming service. So that's kind of what I'm anticipating. $7.99 in Canada strikes me as a lot. Yeah. For just a little bit more, you end up signing up for your own plan. So I don't see how that really makes sense. Yeah, that's exactly right. That price point comes with question marks. So I don't think that's, I'll be surprised if that's, if that holds. All right, Tim, before we talk about the ratings, there's kind of something fun happening at the box office, isn't there? Yeah. Uh, first, we'll mention that last weekend, since we haven't talked about it in a little bit, the top movie was M. Night Shyamalan's Knock at the Cabin with $14.1 million, which uh, not not bad. You know, he, he's been doing OK with uh, his resurgence and limited budgets on his on his film. So this this will end up you know being pretty probably a win for uh, for Universal. Uh, second was for some reason, 80 for Brady, 12.7 million. Ah. <sighs> I, I don't want to talk about that movie anymore. Uh, but looking at this weekend, uh, we have the Friday numbers since we're recording this on Saturday the 11th. And the top film was the re-release of Titanic. Because I guess uh, since it's Super Bowl weekend, you know, all, all the men will be watching the Super Bowl and all the women can go see Titanic in the theaters. Just like Think it's 1997 it is, all over again. That's what I was going to say. Think of it as a prequel called 65 for Brady. <laughs> Uh, I assume this will be the winner for the weekend because there's nothing else new released this weekend. Yeah, it's um, uh, Knock of the Cabin is, of course, going to drop a bit. Uh, 80 for Brady's in second. Avatar is still holding well at 641 million domestically. What's that worldwide right now, David? To what? 2.1, 2.2 billion, something like that. There's actually a really funny thing happening here because Titanic and Avatar Wave Water. And by the way, I want to correct my math error. It would be 55 for Brady. Titanic and Avatar are basically jockeying for position at this point. And usually in these situations, the new film just keeps gating and gating. But now <laughs> Titanic actually made a million dollars more than Avatar did domestically. Yeah, ti- ti- Titanic has now extended its lead on, on Avatar. Yes, domestically. <laughs> it probably yes. has it worldwide. I haven't seen the yeah. numbers yet, okay. but uh, it's just one of 
those things where it, it kind of stalls things for a little bit. This is definitely a weird <laughs> thing where James Cameron, James Cameron, James Cameron just screwed James Cameron. Yeah, that's right. It's ninety-seven Cameron versus twenty twenty-three Cameron, which feels like a you know a video game concept or something. <laughs> Yeah, I guess with no other wide releases because theaters are just still weird. People, I guess, they want to see movies. They want movies to be released so they can go to the theater and and pay currency to see them, which would be good for theaters and for studios. But for some reason, that's your top release this weekend is, yes, Titanic. We'll recap how it finished next next weekend, I'm sure, just just for the for the laughs. But yeah, that that is your amusing box office story for the weekend is, is Titanic. Yeah, very good. Well, tell us about the ratings then. Yeah, we're looking at the Nielsen streaming ratings for Monday, January 9th to Sunday, January 15th. Not the most exciting weeks, but let's let's see what, what we've got. The top show that was last week is also the top show this week, Ginny and Georgia, the first full week of availability of its second season with an impressive 2.7 billion minutes. What the heck? So it's actually up from last week, oh, which yeah. I thought yeah. was already an excellent number. Yeah, building on the three-day number, which was pretty explosive. So that's this is a solid 10 days. Uh, we do have a returning show in second, Vikings Valhalla. One billion minutes for 16 episodes. The second season arrived on Netflix on January 12th. Uh, it's already actually been renewed for a third season. When they renewed it after the first season, they gave it an order for two more seasons. So we'll get another one of this one. This, the first season was back in actually February 2022. Most of the rest of the originals is shows we've seen before. Wednesday will still be hanging on for quite some time. Another 810 million minutes. Kaleidoscope takes a drop after its debut. 670 million minutes for the eight-episode heist series. The only non-Netflix show is, once again, Amazon Prime Video's Jack Ryan. 531 million minutes for 24 episodes in fifth. The Circle, we saw that return last week. And yeah, it takes a jump as it adds a couple more episodes. 474 million minutes for 62 total episodes. Our only other new show of the week is Pressure Cooker. Eight episodes, 428 million minutes. This is a cooking reality competition show where it's kind of like Big Brother meets Top Chef, essentially. They all live in the same house and then they all have to cook. And apparently they judge each other to determine who gets eliminated rather than like celebrity judges or something to, to that effect. We talked about this and what's new in streaming, but mm-hmm. to be honest, with that innocuous name, did you have to Google which one this was? Because I, I had to did. double check. I was like, wait, was this some sort of like, was this like another heist series? And then when when it first, after searching pressure cooker, and then, you know, it gave me ads for pressure cookers. Uh, I was like, oh, pressure cooker TV show. Oh, right. It's the reality. It's the cooking show competition we uh, we, we talked about briefly for, for that week. Uh, it actually released on the 7th. So this is... It's first full, this is its full week. So it premiered on the previous, would have premiered on the previous ratings chart. So I guess that might be good enough for them to renew it. I'm sure it wasn't expensive to make, but I, I wonder if they were hoping for more because this isn't the a three-day number. This is a seven-day number. Eighth is Made Off, The Monster of Wall Street. We saw that premiere last week, 362 million minutes for its four episodes. Emily in Paris, 30 episodes, 338 million minutes in ninth. And Originals wraps up with The Recruit, 295 million minutes for eight episodes. Movies, here's a little bit of a surprise as it's Glass Onion is nowhere at the top, but it is the hatchet-wielding hitchhiker, 600 46 million minutes what <laughs> what yeah I mean, we talked about it i actually feel like the the delay between when we talk about episodes and shows or movies and when they show up on the ratings sometimes throws, throws me off because i feel like we talked about this a long time ago but no it it uh finally arrived on on netflix on january 10th see i'm annoyed about this because they basically ripped off that one idea the one character from there's something about mary who was fixated on six minutes <laughs> 
<laughs> seven minute made ads. A movie out of it. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that guy. Yeah. <laughs> I did not make that connection till now. Yes. He's. <laughs> I remember this Harlan is Williams. Yeah. This is not a movie. This is a documentary. This is a, right. This is yes. This this is a feature length documentary. So rather than divide it up into multiple episodes and uh, have it land on the originals chart, we got it on the movie chart because it's just a documentary film. So I guess you could only spread out hatchet burgers so much on like so the much, other right. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently, especially when it's just about one guy, not multiple hatchet wielding incidents. I guess. Yeah. It's the guy went like viral just for being very eccentric on video. And it turns out he claiming he, he witnessed the crime and it turns out he did the crime. So that's why people watch, watch this, I guess. Uh, yeah. Okay. Whatever. So second is the movie we were surprised at last week. And it was my prediction to be the top movie. And it would have been had not, had it not been for the hatchet wielding hitchhiker. And that's the pale blue eye 582 million minutes for its first full week. Having watched it now, it is certainly a movie. It is. <laughs> I don't know how many people who watched it actually enjoyed it. it it's a good thriller, uh, but uh, it has a certain acquired taste to it that a lot of people are not going to enjoy. After a few weeks at the top, Glass Onion and Amazon Mystery drops to third, 446 million minutes. Amazon's Jurassic World Dominion, we saw that arrive on the ratings chart last week, 425 million minutes. Something else new in fifth, Doggone, 387 million minutes. Oh, right. We did talk about this, a biographical film about um, Rob Lowe and a dog. That's right. Rob Lowe's looking for his dog missing on the Appalachian Trail. Okay. Aww. It needs its medicine. <laughs> Uh, the menu from HBO Max in six, 354 million minutes. Disney Plus's Encanto is once again the top Disney Plus movie. So all, all is right with the world over one year later, 255 million minutes. Uh, Strange World is right behind it in eighth, 248 million minutes. Trolls, 231 million minutes in ninth. And Matilda the Musical wraps up movies, 203 million minutes. Uh, Acquired is nine shows we've seen before, led uh, impressively by The Walking Dead. We talked about that last week when it returned. 1.4 billion minutes for its 177 episodes. The entire show is now complete and and uh, available on Netflix. So with the first full week of the availability of the final season, uh, people finally checked out and saw how it ended. People maybe, but none of us. None of us, nope. Uh, the one new show is amusingly credited to Netflix and Peacock. That's New Amsterdam in fourth, 673 million minutes for 64 episodes. This is a show that actually completed its run just a couple weeks ago. Five seasons broadcast on NBC. So this isn't this actually isn't the entire series because the last last episodes actually the series finale was only I want to say January. Yeah, so January 17th. And then we, you know, uh, I, I did I have not watched the last season. As a matter of fact, I'm a season and a half down, but uh, I did go ahead and watch the finale. And uh, I was talking about this with Raul the other day. Sometimes NBC just drives me insane. This was a popular show, wildly popular at one point. It was top 20 and they just mishandled it throughout the pandemic. They just didn't seem to care. And it's insane to me that a hospital show wasn't treated with more respect during the pandemic. But so they had cast members leave. They had constant negative press about the fact that NBC just didn't seem to care. This is an IP that somebody else should pick up. So you're saying this is a manifest situation all over again? Absolutely, yes. Oh, wow. Okay. Someone's I mean, Grey's Anatomy is in season 72. I think it's older than the people who were in Brady, <laughs> 80 for Brady. Right. Yeah. 
<laughs> we're gonna get Ellen Pompeo's retirement from being a doctor at the end of the when Grey's Anatomy finally ends, right? Even though she she starts the show as a med student, we're just gonna witness her entire career. Yeah, someone's do... wrong with the numbers here because sixty four episodes puts it in the middle of a season. I have to double check as to what exactly is available, but definitely that new season would definitely not be available on Netflix this soon, considering it actually hadn't aired on uh, as the time we got these ratings. So it probably is the first first three or four, but I'll, I will double check if it's hanging around when it hangs around next week. And I do appreciate that they credited both Netflix and Peacock, even though I'm sure most of those viewers were on Netflix. It's nice to see that Peacock got a little pat on the head there. Good job, Peacock. Hey, I, I'm I'm happy when they show up. It, it's not here this week, but you know, a couple of weeks ago, Yellowstone was the top show on Acquired. So, you know, congratulations, Peacock. Like I said, you're you're a real streaming service now. Get with the freaking program, Paramount Plus. It is a surprise that it dropped entirely out of the top 10. I wouldn't get too attached to to Yellowstone on Peacock anyway, so we'll see. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's um like I said, not the most exciting week of ratings, but uh that Janine Georgia number is crazy. That's a stupid movie at the top. Um Walking Dead was impressive. But yeah, that that that's all for this week. They they can't all be winners, but it's you know not the worst week we've ever had, but not the most entertaining either. You know, it also probably tracks some because we kind of hit that point where we didn't see a lot of new things released for Yeah, you know, January was kind periods. of a yeah. dry month in terms of new releases. I think that 90s show will hit next week, but that's the only other thing I could think of. Yeah, and that yeah. one will do very well. Yeah. Yeah, the next big three stories are that 90s show, Poker Face, and then Wakanda Forever, and those mm-hmm. are going to be spread out over the next four weeks. And The Last of Us as well. Oh, of course, yes. Oh, I'm yes. Sorry. Okay, yeah, that, we'll see that on Acquired very soon, yes. Yep. Okay, in our green lights and cancellations this week, HBO Max has canceled the Hugh Laurie sci-fi comedy series Avenue 5 after two seasons. Wah, wah. The first season was wildly entertaining, but I will say we haven't been in a rush to watch the second season. No. And it, it did feel like there was a huge gap between the two. It did. It really did. And I do wonder if you want to watch that second season, if you're going to be able to watch it on HBO Max. <laughs> hey, you <laughs> may end up getting to watch it with ads on Roku. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amazon's Freebie is building a whole Bosch universe. A second season of Bosch Legacy is in the works, and two more spinoffs are being developed around detectives Jerry Edgar and Renee Ballard. Oh, Bosch Infinity War is going to be lit! (laughs) (laughs) Amazon is loving its franchises as Prime Video has greenlit a second season of Chris Pratt's Terminalist, and a prequel is underway starring Taylor Kitsch. That took a long time to get renewed. It did. The comic book Witches, spelled W-Y-T-C-H-E-S, is being adapted into an animated horror series on Prime Video. This seems very fringe. I mean, there's been some independent comics that have done well. Invincible is one that has uh, done particularly well for Amazon Prime, and season two of that one's actually coming up. But, oh boy, uh, I think this is going to be a tough sell. Patricia Cornwall's K. Scarpetta novels are being adapted into a series at Prime Video starring Nicole Kidman and Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah, the Criminal Minds, NCIS stuff, that is all specifically the fault of Patricia Cornwell (laughs) and Ashley Judd. So there you have it. (laughs) 
Amazon's deal with Sony to create Spider-Man content is starting to bear fruit, as Phil Lord and Chris Miller will be bringing a live-action Spider-Man noir series to the streamer. This is one of those where I read it, and I read it three (laughs) times. Make sure I wasn't at a satire site. As a reminder, this is a character that Nick Cage voiced in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. And the character is basically, what if Spider-Man were actually more like Batman? And we knew that Amazon had signed this deal to create live-action shows with Sony characters from the Spider-Man universe. I don't think any of us had Spider-Man noir on the board of possibilities. (laughs) This is... I mean, if it works, more power to them. But on paper, it's insane. Yeah, they had me at Lord and Miller, so I'm I'm tentatively on board. But yeah, this this is just just a weird idea. <laughs> the dude who was writing this and executive produced it, Tim, is the same guy who did The Lost City in 2022, and he's also working on Borderlands and John Wick 4. So he is a Lord Miller disciple who looks like he's going to be a superstar, and he apparently wrote that scene in 22 Jump Street. So you know he's hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. And Amazon's definitely been in a renewal mood this week as The Peripheral was picked up for a second season. Oh, thank God. Uh That was definitely on the fence because we talked about it when it showed up on the ratings for exactly one week that that was its finale. So we were really worried that it was not going to get renewed again. And but nope. Amazon said, sure, why not? Because they're not Netflix. Yeah, I don't know. it's good. (laughs) Exactly. I said it. I don't remember if it made the podcast or not, but I'd given up hope it was going to be renewed. You had too, hadn't you, Kim? Oh, yeah. I just assumed. In fact, I was like, fine, I'll just read the books. (laughs) Over at Hulu, another streamer is changing their mind about a show they'd previously greenlit as the series adaptation of Never Let Me Go has been scrapped. If you work in content creation right now in Hollywood, your job must be exhausting because you don't know whether your green light means anything. You don't feel good about a project until you film it. And then after you film it, you don't feel good about it until it airs. And after it airs, you don't feel good about your renewal until you start season two. It is just an endless cycle of confusion and chaos. Everyone took the wrong lessons from the HBO Max stuff because they're like, wait, you can just cancel a show even if you already said you, you renewed it. You can you can not air a show that they that they made. Oh, okay, cool. Sigh. Yeah, it's contagious. And more shows are being purged from a streamer. This time it's Paramount Plus, which has removed The Real World Homecoming, Jordan Peele's reboot of The Twilight Zone, the Peter Sarsgaard drama Interrogation, the Michael Chiklis drama Coyote, the comedy No Activity, Kate Beckinsale's Guilty Party, and the animated series The Harper House from their platform. Just a reminder that they don't announce these, they just disappear. And so it's up Mm. to the consumers to actually go through and search and realize, oh, that show's not here anymore. These shows are just disappearing and it's anyone's guess whether they're going to be showing up on another streamer or another platform ever again. But it's not all bad news for Paramount Plus, as rumors continue to mount that Kevin Costner may be leaving the blockbuster show Yellowstone, which is produced by Paramount and airs on the Paramount Network, but whose reruns appear on Peacock. Show creator Taylor Sheridan is rumored to be talking to Matthew McConaughey to star in a new spinoff. All right. All right. 
All right, I guess. <laughs> the, the presumption is that Paramount would be thrilled to bring their flagship show home to their streaming service. And this may be how they get away with it. There you go. This is absolutely brilliant as a business move. I'm kind of in awe of this. Nothing's confirmed yet. This is only rumor and speculation. But by all accounts, Kevin Costner is tired of Yellowstone. And he's kind of reduced the number of dates he's willing to film, which is causing problems for the production. So this is a purpose pitch at Kevin Costner's face saying, we can get McConaughey. You're easily replaceable with somebody younger and currently hotter. And on top of that, they just destroy Peacock. I mean, we're talking about Peacock making the ratings with Yellowstone. Well, if Yellowstone is back on Paramount, I'm sorry, if not Yellowstone is on Paramount, <laughs> Peacock's value is just wiped out. It, it is a brilliant move if this happens. Yeah, Twitter had some thoughts. Uh, Kevin Costner participated in cable television exactly long enough to finance his next stupidly expensive Western vanity project and then bounced the second this was accomplished. Eleven <laughs> ten, no notes. We stand a legend. <laughs> and finally, the Neil Patrick Harris comedy series Uncoupled, which was canceled last month after one season on Netflix, is being revived by Showtime. That's Paramount Plus with Showtime. <laughs> Yeah, that is, yeah. That is a ballsy move by Paramount Plus with Showtime that just canceled a bunch of shows and then decided, <laughs> but we're totally going to pick up this one. Yeah. <laughs> it's produced by MTV Entertainment, so it's an in-house production. It would make sense that maybe Netflix wants more of their own original content on their streamer. And if this one wasn't making money for them, then it was an easy cut for them. And on the other hand, since it's produced by a Paramount studio, it's an easy pickup for Showtime. As always, we wrap up the show with what's been keeping us busy over the last week. And I started playing Hogwarts Legacy early on Tuesday. It was officially and I haven't released. seen her face since then. <laughs> it was officially <laughs> released on Friday, yesterday, but they did have an early release opportunity playing it on the Steam Deck. It looks fantastic on the Steam Deck. And it is just magical. It really does take you into that world in a way that I think a lot of people have wanted to experience previously, and it does it. It actually accomplishes that maybe at long last. You create your character, of course, and you're, you start, oddly enough, as a fifth-year student at Hogwarts, and it has its own mystery. It's set 100 years before the events of Harry Potter. It's got its own little story, its own look and feel, and it is just really fun so far, and I highly recommend it. Kim, do you think it's fair to say that this is the best ancillary Harry Potter thing since the Wizarding World itself? I do. I think that it it succeeds in creating the right feeling. And I, I have to say, I am in deep admiration for all of the people who worked to bring this together, to create it, and um, for some of the very bold decisions that they made in the game, despite maybe what the creator of Harry Potter would have liked. Raul, how about you? Well, I've been watching the traders on, let me check my notes here, Peacock. <laughs> <laughs> this uh, this reality competition is fantastic. Man, I wish someone on this show would have told me about it. Hey. <laughs> 
I kid, of course, Tim was uh, gushing about it. And, you know, while I'm a fan of some reality competition shows, I, I do tend to get tired of them. I stopped watching shows like Big Brother, Survivor, and even The Amazing Race some time ago. This one felt fresh and interesting and did seem to have a lot of buzz. And Tim certainly was speaking very highly of it. So uh, I decided to pick it up this week and I couldn't put it down. I was up at 6 a.m. this morning to watch the final episode so I could tell you all about it before we recorded. I'm, I'm not going to go into extensive details. Tim's already discussed it, but there's a group of contestants, many of them former reality show stars who are all competing to grow a large pot of money. The sum total can be up to $250,000, but there are three of the contestants who are traders. They are trying to sabotage the other players so that they get all the money to themselves. It's in some ways similar to the mall, but it's somewhat telling that while I have not yet watched the revival of the mall, I have watched this and I couldn't stop watching. I do have to tell you, there is a number of scenes on this show that are just devastating. And the final reveal is an utter gut punch. It is just it just destroys some of these contestants and it'll destroy you watching this as these people just have to betray each other in the most terrible ways possible so that they can come away with the money. I recognize a, a number of these reality show stars. I didn't recognize a couple and they do also have a, a handful of, I guess, civilians who at this point now also become reality show stars. But the best thing about the show was the host, the Scottish actor Alan Cumming. And I would be terrible on this show because because I would just spend all my time just following Alan coming around like a little puppy. And it was clear watching that while Alan Cumming is having a great time hosting the show, he's here to do his script, tell you everything that you need to know, and then leave. He seems very uncomfortable around these other people who seem to believe each other were the stars and didn't really particularly notice Alan there. I suspect a number of them didn't even realize who Alan Cumming was, but I'm a big fan of this act and have followed his career for many decades. It just is a really solid reality competition show. I'm glad to hear that there's actually going to be a reunion episode because I want to see these people confront each other. It's going to be it's going to be harsh and I'm excited to see what the uh, second season is like. I feel that the contestants who participated this year laid out a pretty solid roadmap as to how you have to play this game and I want to see if that plan is followed in in subsequent seasons or if people try something new. I'd in fact like to see if there's some new original approach to this uh, competition. Uh, apparently, as uh, Tim has previously pointed out, that's based on, of course, a Dutch reality show, as many reality shows are. And there's also been a uh, British version that aired uh, just before the American version aired back in November of 2022. Although I don't think either of those had any of these pseudo stars on them. It just had a whole bunch of, you know, average people. But I think uh, the American shows always seem to bring it up a notch by bringing by bringing in these reality stars that are all about, you know, their extravagance and their personalities, which really throw an extra element to uh, to this show where people are trying to work together to win money while at the same time wondering if maybe there's someone you're working with who's also trying to get all the money from you and keep it for themselves. It's it's fun, but also tough to watch. Mm -hmm. Yep, absolutely. 
Okay, Tim, what's been keeping you busy? West of Loathing was a 2017 role-playing game set in like a fantasy Western setting. And the idea is that the entire game is basically like the art is almost like stick figure drawings. It's in black and white. Your character is literally like a stick figure. All the NPCs are, are stick figures. It is, it's very funny because of the the writing. The game is very self-aware, it goes full whimsical, and it, it was one of the funniest games I've ever played. And it turns out they released a sequel a couple months ago, and whoever didn't tell me is fired. Um, but this is called Shadows Over Loathing. And it's a it's a I guess you could call it a Lovecraftian setting, just again, there's very you know supernatural aspects to it, but but again, picks up the same whimsy and just ridiculousness of the the original game. The art is again just stick figures the combat is not the not the deepest but slightly challenging but most fights are generally winnable it's generally generally very difficult to run into a fight you you can't win but you know you're you're playing it just to see where they're going to take the story next what ridiculous ideas and jokes they're they're going to come up with it is absolutely worth it i am not doing it justice by explaining it you know look up you know, look up screenshots of it look up you know gameplay of it if it's if it's on youtube these are some of the most hysterical games i've ever played and i do always enjoy comedy in my in my gaming all right. Thanks, Tim. David, what could you possibly be planning to talk about today? <laughs> so uh, this week was insane. Uh, we had Reedy Creek stuff going on with Disney. We also had Disney's earnings report and whatnot. Between my prep work and my writing, I legitimately had very little free time. And oh, yes, my elderly mother was in town and that takes priority over anything. And so I looked up last night and it was midnight the night before the podcast and I had nothing. So I turned on Shotgun Wedding and that turned out to be one of the best decisions I've made in a while. I'm shocked to say that, but it's spectacular. And it also felt like it was written just for me. There was a Bill and Ted reference. And at one point, many, many members of the cast broke out into Edwin McCain's I'll Be, which is one of those things that you'd have to know me to understand. But I actually saw Edwin McCain play in South Carolina at a beach hotel when that was the best gig he could get way, way, way before that song became wildly popular. So I was just smiling from start to finish. And I've always looked at Jennifer Lopez as she's usually good, even if her projects are not. This was a great project. And you could tell she was having the time of her life. And Josh Duhamel was playing her fiance, a baseball player. And yes, there were some subtle shots at A-Rod throughout that were sprinkled in with love. It wasn't like aggressive, but just like these are the things you put up with when you're dating a baseball player. And then some of the things she was doing also had a little touch of Ben Affleck in there. So there was there was a lot of meta and the concept itself worked. And there are even a couple of people in this cast I can't stand and I quite enjoyed them this. Uh, Shotgun Wedding is one of the most pleasant surprises I've had in the past year. Highly recommend it. And that's on Amazon. Okay. There's also a little something else that David and I watched called the Harley Quinn Valentine special. Yeah, we we probably can't even talk about most of that. (laughs) I don't think we can. (laughs) If you love Harley Quinn, it's very, very entertaining. If you don't love Harley Quinn, you're going to wonder about Kim and my sanity and recommending Harley Quinn. (laughs) (laughs) And I would definitely say if you have not watched the previous seasons of Harley Quinn. This is not the place to start, but it's hilarious. I know we laughed and laughed and laughed and some images of Bane will be sticking with us for a very, very long time. <laughs> they also introduced a new character, Etrigan, who it was love at first sight. Oh yeah, I love Etrigan for sure. <laughs> 
Thank you for listening to Streaming Into the Void. Please consider subscribing via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we welcome your feedback. Remember that we're on social media at Streaming Void and online at streamingvoid.com. If you like what you're hearing, please consider becoming a subscriber on Patreon at patreon.com slash streamingvoid. Be sure to watch for us again next week. 